Chapter 10 The Hooey and the Liner Notes When I got home and opened my bag, a steamy cloud of bugs and dust spewed out, and I chucked most everything inside. All I could think about on the flight back to Massachusetts as I did the post-mortem for the tour was how we could have made so many wrong moves. I felt only dejection and failure. I could imagine producing more tours, but I could not see going on the road with one again, beyond a couple of nights. Though I'd enjoyed being on the road earlier in my career, being on Tattoo the Earth had sucked. I was kicking myself for having let Booth play me and was generally pissed off at everyone. The sweet moments had been sublime, but few, and had occurred in the first few shows. The rest was worry, monotony, and stress. Much of the time I'd been sitting in the tour bus, smoking pot and obsessively watching the Weather Channel. But we'd completed the tour, no one had died, and everyone had gotten paid. I was planning to hold a final meeting with my team, but everyone drifted off after the last show without ceremony. Individually, I told them we wouldn't always be an outsider rogue tour again, but that I was glad we were the first year, and honored they were all part of it. By the time we started the next tour, I promised, the fiasco we'd just finished would be a faint memory. Don't be so sure about that, our tour manager Ronnie Hausfeld told me when I said that to him. That was a grueling disaster. Worst tour ever. This shit will haunt me until I die. Disaster or not, it was in the books. Of the 18 shows, ticket sales for six had been strong, six okay, six were weak, and all of them were painful in their own way. The first tour was always about possibilities and I never expected to make much money, which was a good thing because there wasn't much money left after all was said and done. We overpaid all the main stage bands, most had their best payday ever, and given extra value to sponsors and vendors. Everything we'd done was an investment in the next tour. So many people had told me how rich I was going to be, but I hadn't cared about the money. If money was what I cared about, I would have stayed at my corporate job. I was trying to build a movement, and an industry, and to change the world. I've been part of enough startups to know that the first year always sucks, and while I was bent out of shape when I first got home, time gave me more perspective, and I started to come around as we began planning for the next tour. Zukowski and I met with Steve Martin from Agency Group, and he agreed that we needed to make a change. He asked for a few weeks to develop a plan that didn't include Kirby, and possibly not Slipknot. He said the agency group believed in Tattoo the Earth and talked about how impressed the international promoters had been with the L.A. show. He wanted to move on from the bad blood. I was still raw from the road and probably bitchier than I needed to be, but you couldn't stay pissed at anyone in the music business very long because everyone was screwing everyone over, and you'd be out of business pretty quick if you were too sensitive. Zukowski was amenable to hearing their plan but told me that he wasn't sure Agency Group had enough headlining acts to anchor a summer metal festival, and he didn't want to be going to competing agencies for headline talent. He thought that there were other agencies that could better represent the tour, but that didn't mean Zukowski wasn't interested in Slipknot. He had become a believer in the band and in the genre. He thought they were more than a gimmick, and that we could build our future with them. He felt his relationship with Richards was solid and that Richards saw Tattoo the Earth as a money machine once we worked out the kinks. I wasn't sure about Slipknot. I liked the band and admired them, but I didn't appreciate getting banned in markets and I wanted to be free of the maelstrom swirling around them. Plus, we had antagonized some big players in music. 
and I'd become more concerned about Richards because I knew Sharon Osborne would do anything to get Slipknot away from us. But Zukowski said Richards was solid. In addition to the machinations for the next tour, we had the live album to release in the fall. The recording from Pontiac had turned out to be pretty good, and Richard's brother was putting real money toward distribution and marketing. We decided to use my logo with an overlay of some Art Fusion experiment drawings for the cover. Fran provided all the photos for the booklet, and I was asked to write something for the liner notes. My first thought was to do a piece on how tattoo artists are cocksuckers and copycats. I couldn't come up with anything to say about the tour that was positive. I had been bursting with creativity the past 18 months, and now I was dried up. I got drunk, played music, looked at the stars, danced around a fire, but I couldn't write a word. I had nothing left to say, and I was under a deadline and starting to panic. I had some descriptive text I'd written about tattoo warriors and tribes being on a crusade that I came across while scrounging old files for material. I showed it to Betsy, and she said I should submit it. It's hooey, I told her. I don't want to be called out for writing something awful, but I got nothing but hooey. It's fine, she said, reading it again. I've never seen a reviewer ever mention liner notes or anything. No one pays attention to those things. I submitted it and the final package and booklet looked fantastic. It was called Tattoo the Earth, The First Crusade. And though live metal albums typically don't sell very well, there was enthusiasm because Slipknot were moving so many records. The record did okay for what it was, but what hurt it was that Steve Richards had given permission for two Slipknot hits to be included on a compilation album that was released just before ours, and that cost us sales. The album was widely reviewed, and most weren't bad. One reviewer said the music could pound nails into wood. The album got two and a half stars in Rolling Stone, though the reviewer warned readers to watch out for hooey about warriors and tribes in the liner notes. While Zukowski prepared for the December agent meetings in L.A., I sorted through all the media and reviews we'd gotten for the tour, and it was impressive. Decent reviews in the New York Times, Los Angeles Times, Boston Globe, plus hundreds of photos and a video archive from a videographer I'd hired to travel with us. While my original pitch book had been filled with ideas for a tour in the abstract, now I had a trove of real material. Footage, pictures, stats, band blurbs, a live album, press clippings, and it all looked formidable. One thing that had worked on the tour was the bond between the bands and the tattoo artists, and that came across in all the pictures of the musicians with their new tattoos. The record company did a six-minute promo video for the live album, and though the video was a bit raunchier than I would have liked, it portrayed Tattoo the Earth as a raucous success. I called Irving Azoff. I see what you've been doing out there, Scott, he said when he picked up the phone. I pulled it off, Irving, I said. I did it. What have you actually done? He replied. One tour? Zukowski and I went to see Slipknot play in New York and sat down with Richards. He was doing much better compared to when I'd last seen him on the tour, and he told us the band was in for 2001. Now we had to lock the band down. We were going to give them a 25% cut of all future tours, whether they played the tour or not. If they played on the tour, they would get paid what they normally would get paid for a tour. We shook on it, and our attorney started drawing up the agreement. Richards wanted to do the next tour with Marilyn Manson, and Zukowski got to work to make that happen. Zukowski hated giving away a significant cut of the tour, but I always thought we would end up giving a piece to someone. 
I just wanted a band that could take us around the world, and the size of my piece wouldn't matter if it got as big as we all thought it would. Zukowski did the L.A. agent meetings alone, which was fine with me. I had no travel planned other than a trip to Switzerland to visit Philip and Tatine Lou to gauge if they might do the tour without Booth. They hadn't heard about what happened at Red Rocks and were disappointed that everything had turned to shit. They were cordial when we hung out in Switzerland and guarded and said that they were open to future tours. Booth was very tight with Philip and I didn't know if it was possible to extricate Booth from them, but it was worth a try. I thought that their commitment and artistry and all-around coolness represented what Tattoo the Earth was all about. Zukowski met with all his L.A. agents for B.B. King, a walk down Abbey Road, and now our tour. Zukowski met with agents at William Morris who were interested in representing us, but Zukowski's challenge was switching agencies and keeping Slipknot as our headliner and partner while they were represented by agency group. Zukowski met with Sharon Osborne on the trip and she made some overtures about OzFest and Tattoo the Earth joining forces, but Zukowski told her we were good, and our tour was just fine on its own. Zukowski made inquiries to Marilyn Manson's people, and we went to go meet his manager at a New York show, and his manager told us they were interested and that we should make them an offer. As much of a struggle as year one had been, year two was falling right into place. We put in substantial offers to Slipknot and Manson, and Zukowski called Manson's manager a few weeks later to follow up about our offer. We're in, he said. As soon as Steve Richards gives me a buzz and confirms that Slipknot is in, we'll sign the contract. Zukowski could sense we were about to close the deal for 2001 and called Richards right away to tell him to call and confirm for Manson. I may need to hold off on that, Richards said. OzFest doubled both of the offers and I need to think about it. And that was that. Any hopes for the 2001 tour we had planned were dead. There was no way to counteract a pissed off Sharon Osbourne with Clear Channel and CAA behind her. We could have doubled the offers, but OzFest would just double their offers again. Clear Channel had such deep pockets there was no rational way to compete. Plus, they would keep us out of the amphitheaters and off their radio stations and billboards. They'd spent a couple million dollars to prevent our second tour from going out. Though I had been faulting Richards and Zukowski's faith in him, there was no way the most powerful players in music were going to let us tour again. Clear Channel, CAA, and Sharon had the gun pointed at our head, and Richards just gave them the bullet, reaping a huge payday and a co-headlining spot on OzFest. I doubt Richards even took our 25% of the tour offered to the band. I think he planned to play us all along. I was stunned. The odds against us getting the first tour off the ground had been so astronomical that once I surmounted them, it didn't occur to me that I would have to do it again. I'd never even considered that there wouldn't be a second tour. The B.B. King Blues Festival was in their 10th year, and Zukowski was known as someone who could get tours out year after year. We even had a few major sponsors already lined up. I felt that I had blown it by not insisting we bail on Slipknot. But it was Zukowski's money. He'd put up millions in artist guarantees to put on the first tour. And his part of the enterprise, and he was the one who'd made the first tour happen, I had to follow his instincts. I thought we should regroup, take out a smaller club and theater tour, and rebuild the brand on a grassroots level. Zukowski had no interest in that. He'd hit a level with Tattoo the Earth, and he wasn't going backwards. 
I was in denial for a while, thinking there was some way to salvage a 2001 tour, but I soon accepted that the concept as I'd envisioned it for 2001 was over, and it turned out plagiarized. Agency groups still miffed at us for messing with Slipknot and trying to move the tour to William Morris, decided to launch Tattoo the Planet in Europe in fall 2001 with Slayer and Pantera headlining, and I was powerless to prevent it. I own the trademark in the U.S., but not in Europe, and there was nothing I could do other than to go on MTV and rant. It was like suddenly coming down from a great drug trip, or going limp during great sex, or waking up from an amazing dream. You just sit there and try to figure out what the fuck just happened and how you can get it back. I was physically, emotionally, and spiritually spent. I felt betrayed by my own inspiration. And had it even been inspiration? Maybe it was just mental illness and drugs. The wave of self-doubt was as sudden and stunning as the wave of absolute certainty I'd had in the beginning that Tattoo the Earth would happen. I could replay every decision and rationalize things I did or shouldn't have done. I could blame a hundred other people and capitalism and the weather, but it had been my idea, and I'd fucked it up. I had given it everything, and I'd lost. And I disappointed all the people who made the tour happen and trusted me to shepherd it further. What do we do now? I asked Zukowski during one of our many commiserating phone calls. You've got tours this summer, but I'm not in the music business. What do you think I should do? The law banning tattooing in Massachusetts had recently been repealed, and I thought about doing the first tattoo convention in the state, but I was on the outs with the tattoo world and wouldn't even know where to start. What would you do? I asked him. There was a long pause. I'd call Booth. And that's what I did. Booth and I buried our respective hatchets and had the first good conversation we'd had since we met. I'm not sure if he was on a new medication or on the wrong one during the tour, but there was a big difference. I'd never disliked Booth, and I thought he was a great artist. I just needed him to give me a break, and he was finally doing that. Booth felt remorse for Red Rocks and hope it didn't contribute to the tour not going out for a second year. Nah, that had nothing to do with it, I told him. The only thing you ruined was the last tour for me. In October 2001, we'd put on the first tattoo convention in Massachusetts, and the Mass Tattoo Festival was a success, despite taking place less than a month after 9-11. Booth talked about canceling, but I said I wasn't in the fucking thing to cancel, and the show was to go on. We lost some of our international tattoo artists, including Bernie Luther, and didn't do as many customers as I'd hoped, but still drew 8,000 people over three days. The U.S. military bombed Afghanistan on the last day of the show, which caused customers to leave immediately. People tend to want to be home when war breaks out. Booth put on a great show with one of the greatest collection of artists ever assembled, and I got the entire city of Worcester to support it. We had music at a local venue, and tattooed people got discounts all weekends at movies, museums, and restaurants. Philip and Tatine came over from Switzerland, and it seemed we were on to a new direction. Booth was still heavy lifting, but most artists are, and I actually felt satisfied after the show. The show caught people's attention, and in the summer, 2002, we put on two three-day tattoo conventions called Tattoo the Earth in Chicago at Allstate Arena and in Oakland at the Coliseum Arena with Clear Channel, if you can believe it. The shows were almost purely tattooing with a little music, and the setup was groundbreaking. 
We put a little stage in each corner of the arena floor, and the arena seats created four mini-performance areas where we presented contests and demonstrations. We did an opening event at the Oakland Museum of Art, and the Oakland show was co-hosted by Lyle Tuttle. I considered it a major victory to have gotten him on board. I spent a day at his house in Ukiah, California, drinking cheap vodka and grapefruit juice, and he howled as I recounted my tattoo tour travails. Aesthetically, the shows were phenomenal. Financially, they tanked. Attendance was okay as far as a tattoo show was concerned, but not for an arena, and that was how the promoter treated it. In Oakland, we got in the middle of a dispute between the Teamsters and Clear Channel, and it cost us dearly. A few weeks after our show, the Teamsters blocked the Rolling Stones' trucks from entering the stadium. We lost money on the shows when I needed them to make some. Plus, Zukowski and Booth were going at it. They never trusted or liked each other, and the partnership was becoming fractured. I was tiring of Zukowski's games and maneuvers and of Booth's ongoing biker problems, and I was just about done. Before the summer shows in 2002, Betsy and I had split up. Her experience on the first tour was mixed. She was glad she went but never wanted to do it again. She thought we were all jerks playing our games, didn't want any part of it, and couldn't wait to get the dust off her shoes. She freaked when I started working with Booth again, and I felt she was holding me back from giving one last effort to keep Tattoo the Earth going. We took a break for a few months. I drove out west and lived in a motel in Pacifica, the fog capital of Northern California, and did the advance work for the Oakland show. When it became clear that the show was going to tank, I knew it was over. I fell into despair. I did crystal meth for the first time and went on a 10-day run that culminated with a cross-country drive back to Massachusetts. I wanted to cancel the upcoming second convention in Worcester in the fall, but went ahead with it. Though by the time the show arrived, I was done and walked away from it all. I gave the Worcester show to Booth, but he was never able to put on another. And that was the end of Tattoo the Earth. The first few years after walking away from Tattoo the Earth were a struggle. The meth jag had taken its toll. My comeuppance for underestimating my addiction. I wallowed in pity for almost a year. Then I put on a suit and tie and worked a corporate job for a few years that was just fucking horrible. I gradually snapped out of it, found work in academia that I enjoyed for a while, and was part of an academic startup. I started writing and in 2020 published my first book, a memoir about my closeted heroin days called Get Off. I never considered getting back into the music or tattoo business. In fact, I'd never felt like I was ever in those businesses. My skill set has always focused on people, process, and technology regardless of the industry, and it's the reason I've had success in disparate fields. People are people, process is process, and technology is technology. It's all the same to me, and as long as I believe in what I'm doing, the only adjustment I need to make is to tone, jargon, and wardrobe. I still have ideas for new tours. One is called Armageddon on Ice. It would be a fucked-up ice capades for metal fans with live music, mutant hockey, and zombie figure skating. But I'm not willing to do what's needed to make it happen. And unless you're willing to throw 100% of yourself into a startup, you have no business doing it. I've been able to stay off hard drugs for the most part and still smoke copious amounts of pot. I look at addiction as a chronic illness that, if managed correctly with a multidisciplinary approach, flares up every now and then but doesn't have to kill you. I haven't had a flare-up for years or a drink for over 10, 
and I got my hepatitis C cured, so I consider myself fortunate to have survived to still be here writing this. Many of those connected to Tattoo the Earth weren't so lucky. Slipknot's manager, Steve Richards, died of his brain tumor in 2004. Slipknot co-founders Paul Gray and Joey Jordison, Jeff Hanneman from Slayer, and Scott Weiland from Stone Temple Pilots all died young and from the lifestyle. Sean Vasquez died of a heart attack in London in 2021. He and I never spoke again after our fallout at Tattoo the Earth, but I remember him with love and gratitude for what we did together. I'm able to be philosophical now about Tattoo the Earth, but it took a while to get there. I beat myself and what if I'd myself into many sleepless nights. But I accept now that it just wasn't meant to be and nothing I could have done would have changed that. I now consider Tattoo the Earth a successful failure. Just getting it off the ground, seeing it through until it was real, proving to myself that I could do it, was in many ways enough for me. It may have been a one-hit wonder, but at least I had a hit. And I've walked the earth differently since having had one. I've always been successful in my career getting shit off the ground, but not as much sustaining it long term, and I've learned to adjust my goals and expectations. And I stopped analyzing whether Tattoo the Earth was mystical inspiration or the result of mental illness or drugs. I now understand that it's all part of me, and I'm okay with that. So is Betsy. She and I reconciled after the disastrous shows in 2002, had a son in 2007, and are still together today. She got a PhD in psychology from Harvard and taught at Columbia University for a while. She's a brilliant person her time spent with me doing stupid shit notwithstanding. During my meth-fueled cross-country drive back to Massachusetts after the Oakland Tattoo Show in 2002, I stopped in a motel in Des Moines for the night. I hadn't slept for days. It felt like needles when I peed and I was surviving on nutritional shakes. I sat on the bed and turned on the TV, which was tuned to a local news station. Good news for music fans today. A news report immediately began. Two years after a ban on concerts was imposed after the infamous Tattoo the Earth Festival with Slipknot, music is coming back to Waterworks Park. What were the odds of that happening? I couldn't stay in the room. I stood up, turned off the TV, and got back on the road. I ran through it all in my head as I drove, all the gory details, the marriage damaged, the money lost, the dream dashed, the organ removed, the jailers bribed. The friendships busted and the worst nightmares realized. And I thought the same thing then that I still think today. It was the honor of a lifetime, and I'd do all of it again in a second.